0: Imagine with me. A toddler is in the kitchen with mum, watching her as she's pulling food from the refrigerator and putting together lunch. Peering up at the counter, the toddler spies a shiny steel knife. Rising on his tiptoes, he stretches out his arm and tries to grab hold of it. But just before... His little fingers touch the blade. His mum sees the danger and shouts out a stern "No!" Startled, he pulls his hand back, plops down on the floor on his bottom, and bursts into tears, leaving the refrigerator door open. Mum swoops down and picks up the toddler. She holds him close, tells him everything's okay and does her best to explain to a three-year-old that knives aren't really the thing for him. Now, when it comes to adults and children, discipline and forgiveness is an observable daily practice. But when it comes to adults, correction and pardon are often hard to find. This is maybe easy to understand. Parents are given a responsibility for overseeing their children's behavior. But among adults, most relationships are negotiated with the responsibility for upholding standards shared. Even when there are relationships of accountability, such as those at work or within a marriage, people tend to avoid correcting behavior for fear that conflict and division may result. And yet, failing to address problems can breed resentment, and this can, in the end, poison the relationship people were trying to keep. Back in 2007, Montreal author and therapist Vicki Stark took the red-eye flight home from a book tour, eager to be back in her loving husband's arms. He picked me up and uncharacteristically went back off to work, she said. Usually we want a connection. But that night, after a 21-year marriage, when Stark told him she brought fish for dinner, he replied, it's over. Fine, we'll have chicken, she said. To which he responded, I'm moving out. My husband had never breathed a word of an unhappy marriage, said Stark. Unfortunately, she's not the only one to tell this story. Not wanting conflict with the person quickly turns into not wanting to be around the person at all. On Thursday afternoons, we've been working through 2 uh, Corinthians, and it's a bit of a difficult passage because there are, there's lots going on in the backstory that you have to put together. It, it's a piece of correspondence that wasn't obviously meant to be so teachable to outsiders viewing it um, 2,000 years later. But let me give you some of the backstory. The backstory to what Klaus shared with us today is that there's been some harmful behavior in the new Christian community at Corinth. We are not told what happened. but We do know that it troubled Paul. In today's passage he spoke about having an agonizing visit with them that was followed by a painful letter. What Paul makes clear in our passage is that his attempt to deal with the situation, to hold people accountable, was motivated out of love. Speaking of that painful letter he wrote, he says, I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Like that good mother shouting, No! to the toddler reaching for the knife, Paul's attempts to correct are motivated by a real concern for the health and well-being of his community, of the community at Corinth. Well, the good news in today's passage is that the Christian community there did heed Paul's direction. After all his cajoling, they eventually agree with his wisdom and correct the individual in question. Again, we are not told how the individual was corrected. While our reading says the individual was punished and Maybe that makes you think of um, belts or, or rods. The Greek word need mean no more than censure. That is, he may have been prayed for publicly or rebuked by the leaders of the church. The Christian community heeded Paul's advice and exercised discipline in their community. But if Paul was happy to see discipline exercised, he understood that this was only going halfway. The mother yells to protect her child from harm, and when he starts crying, she picks him up in her arms and consoles him. Recognizing that the offending individual is now sorrowful, that there are signs of repentance, Paul now asks the church at Corinth to forgive the offending party and to comfort him. It's not enough For the church to practice discipline, it also needs to practice forgiveness and reconciliation. A Christian community that does not practice reconciliation fails to understand the work of its founder and the purpose for which it was created. Like Jesus, Paul is concerned about the lost sheep. Paul tells the church to forgive and comfort him so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Today's scripture makes it clear that in the Christian community, we shouldn't be sweeping problematic behavior under the carpet, but exercising discipline. But it also is clear that Christian communities should be practicing forgiveness, welcoming and restoring the repentant. Of all places, the church. The church should be a community of short memories, a place where people are offered a new beginning, a fresh start. Well, as theologian N.T. Wright notes, if the community is simply concerned to have a placid life and tones down the clear and definite notes of gospel belief and behavior, its witness to the mission and mission to the world will be greatly reduced. Satan will be delighted. But equally, if a community becomes so keen on discipline and order that it it deals harshly with offenders and allows them no chance to repent, to make amends, and to be welcomed back as full members, Satan will be just as pleased. Somehow, the church must steer the course between these two polarities. This is no small task. But there are communities, there are places that practice this. Before I started my ministry in my previous church in Vancouver, there had been a scandal in the Presbytery of Westminster. One of the churches in that presbytery had employed an individual who abused his position as a youth leader. One of those situations that every church dreads. There was an investigation. There were criminal charges. There was a trial and a prison sentence. You can imagine how this would have rocked the church and its members. Many people left in the wake of what happened. And while you might expect that the offender would never darken the door of that community again after his sentence was over, lo and behold... That offender wanted to rejoin the community, and the leadership wanted to welcome him back. This took work, lots of work that extended through the stays of three different ministers. There was a long and difficult process of reconciliation. The offender would never again work with youth, of course, but he was welcomed back fully and would share in the life of the community.
1: Could you accept that?
0: Some people felt that what that man did was unforgivable. But can any true Christian community deny forgiveness to those who repent? Forgiveness is the heart of Jesus' saving work among us. The basis for our forgiving others is the forgiveness we've already received through Christ. It's only because we have been restored that we can restore others. And if we do not forgive, how can we expect forgiveness ourselves?
1: So let's dare to hold each other accountable but let's also practice forgiveness. Thanks be to God. Amen.